0: Hello members, welcome back to my channel and Joan of Arc. We are now on All Ready to Condemn. On Tuesday, the 20th of February, while I sat at my master's work in the evening, he came in looking sad and said it had been decided to begin the trial at 8 o'clock the next morning and I must get ready to assist him. Of course, I had been expecting such news every day for many days, but no matter, the shock of it almost took my breath away and set me trembling like a leaf. I suppose that, without knowing it, I had been half imagining that, at the last moment, something would happen, something that would stop this fatal trial. Maybe that Lahaya would burst in at the gates, with his hellions at his back. Maybe that God would have pity and stretch forth his mighty hand. But, now, now, there was no hope. The trial was to begin in the chapel of the fortress and would be public. So I went sorrowing away and told Noel, so that he might be there early and secure a place. It would give him a chance to look again upon the face, which we so revered and which was so precious to us, all the way, both going and coming, I ploughed through chattering and rejoicing multitudes of English, English soldiery and English-hearted French citizens. There was no talk but of the coming event. Many times I heard the remark accompanied by the pitiless laugh, The fat bishop has got things he wants them at last, and says he will lead the vile witch a merry dance and a short one. But here and there I glimpsed compassion and distress in her face, and it was not always a French one. English soldiers feared Joan, but they had admired her for her great deeds and her unconquerable spirit. In the morning, Manchon and I went early. Yet we were approached. Yet as we approached the vast fortress, we found crowds of men already there, and still others gathering. The chapel was already full and the way barred against further admissions of unofficial persons, we took our appointed places. Throned on high sat the President, Couchon, Bishop of Beauville, and his grand robes, and before him in rows sat his robed caught fifty distinguished ecolistics, men of high degree in the church, of clear-cut intellectual faces, men of deep learning, veteran adepts, in strategy, and, casuistry, practised setters of traps for ignorant minds and unwary feet. When I looked around upon this army of masters of legal fence, gathered here to find just one verdict, and no other, and remembered that Joan must fight for a good name, and her last life single-handed against them. I asked myself, what chance has an ignorant poor country girl of nineteen could have in such an Unequal conflict, and my heart sank down low, very low. When I looked again at the obese president, puffing and wheezing there, his great belly distending and receding with each breath, and noted his three chins, fold above fold, and his knobbly and knotty face, and his purple and splotchy complexion, his repulsive cauliflower nose, and his cold and malignant eyes, a brute. Every detail of him my heart sank lower still. And when I noted that all were afraid of this man, and shrank and fidgeted in their seats when his eye smote theirs, my last porray of hope dissolved away and wholly disappeared. There was one unoccupied seat in this place, and only one. It was against the wall, in view of everyone. It was a little wooden bench without a back, and it stood apart and solitary, on a sort of dais. Tall men-at-arms in at morion, breastplate and steel gauntlets stood as stiff as their own halberds on each side of this dais, but no other creature was near by it. A pathetic little bench to me it was, for I knew whom it was for, and the sight of it carried away my mind, back to the great court of Puthias, where Joan sat upon one like it and calmly fought her cunning fight with the astonished doctors of the church and parliament and rose from it victorious and applauded by all and went forth to fill the world with the glory of her name. What a dainty little figure she was and how gentle and innocent, how winning and beautiful in the fresh bloom of her seventeen years. Those were grand days. And so recent, for she was just nineteen now. And how much she had seen since. And what wonders she had accomplished. But now, oh, all was changed now. She had been languishing in dungeons away from light and air. And the cheer of friendly faces for nearly three quarters of a year. She, born child of the sun, natural comrade of the birds, and of all happy free creatures... She would be weary now, and worn with this long captivity. Her forces impaired, despondent, perhaps, as not knowing, there was no hope. Yes, all was changed. All this time, there had been a muffled hum of conversation and rustling of robes, and scraping of feet on the floor, a combination of dull noises, which filled all the place. Suddenly, produce the accused. It made me catch my breath. My heart began to thump like a hammer. But there was silence now. Silence absolute. All those noises ceased. And it was as if they had never been. Not a sound. The stillness grew oppressive. It was like a weight upon one. All faces were turned toward the door. And one could probably expect that. For most of the people there suddenly realised, no doubt, that they were about to see, in actual flesh and blood, what had been to them before only, an embodied prodigy, a word, a phrase, a world-girdling a name. The stillness continued. Then far down the stone-paved corridors one heard a vague slow sound approaching. Clank, clink, clank, John of Arc. Deliverer of France, in chains. My head swam, all things whirled and spun about me. Ah, I was realising too. We will continue to the 50 experts against a novice now, guys. I give you my honour now that I am not going to distort or discolour the facts of this miserable trial. No, I will give them to you honestly, detail by detail, just as Manchon and I set them down daily in the official record of the court, and just as one... "'may read them in the printed histories. "'There will be only this difference, "'that in talking familiarly with you, "'I shall use my right to command upon the proceedings "'and explain them as I go along, "'so that you can understand them better. "'Also, I shall throw in trifles which came under our eyes "'and have a certain interest for you and me, "'but were not important enough to go into the official record.' "'to take up my story now where I left off.' "'We heard the clanking of Joan's chains. "'Down the corridors she was approaching. "'Presently she appeared. "'A thrill swept the house and one heard deep breaths drawn. Two guardsmen followed her at a short distance to the rear. "'Her head was bowed a little and she moved slowly, "'she being weak and her irons heavy. "'She had on men's attire all black.' A soft woollen stuff, intensely black, funerally black, not a speck of relieving colour in it from her throat to the floor. A wide collar of this same black stuff lay in irradiating folds upon her shoulders and breast. The sleeves of her doublet were full, down to the elbows and tight, thence to her manacled wrists. Below the doublet, tight black hose down to the chains on her ankles. Halfway to a bench she stopped, just where a wide shaft of light fell, slanting from a window, and slowly lifted her face. Another thrill. It was totally colourless, white as snow. A face of gleaming snow, set in vivid contrast upon the slender statue of another, unmitigated black. It was smooth and pure and girlish, beautiful beyond belief, infinitely and sweet. But dear, dear, when the challenge of those untamed eyes fell upon that judge, and the droop vanished from her form, and it straightened up soldierly and noble, my heart leaped for joy, and I said, All is well, all is well, they have not broken her, they have not conquered her, she is Joan of Arc still. Yes, it was plain to me now, that there was one spirit there, which this dreaded judge could not quell, nor make afraid. She moved to her place and mounted the dais and seated herself upon her bench, gathering her chains into her lap and nestling her little white hands there. Then she waited in tranquil dignity, the only person there who seemed unmoved and unexcited. A bronzed and browny English soldier, standing at martial ease in front rank of the citizen spectators, did now, most gallantly and respectfully, put up his great hand and give her the military salute, and she, smiling friendly, put hers and returned it, whereat there was a sympathetic little break of applause, which the judge sternly silenced. Now the memorable inquisition, called in history the great trial, began. Fifty experts against a novice, no one to help the novice the judge summarized the circumstances of the case, and the public reports and suspicions upon which it was based. Then required Joan to kneel and make oath that she would answer with exact truthfulness to all questions asked her. Joan's mind was not asleep. It suspected that dangerous possibilities might lie hidden under this apparently fair and reasonable demand. She answered with simplicity, which so often spoiled the enemy's best laid plans in the trial, at Poitiers and said, no, for I do not know what you are going to ask me. You might ask me of things which I would not tell you. This incensed the court, and brought out a brisk flurry of angry, angry exclamations. Joan was not disturbed. Cushion raised his voice and began to speak in the midst of this noise. But he was so angry that he could hardly get his words out. He said, With the divine assistance of our Lord, we... Require you to expedite those proceedings for the welfare of your conscience. Swear with your hands upon the Gospels that you will answer true to the questions which shall be asked you. And he brought down his fat hand with a crash upon the official table. Jones said, with composure, As concerning my father and mother and the faith, "'and what things I have done since my coming into France, "'I will gladly answer. "'But as regards to revelations which I have received from God, "'my voices have forbidden me to confide them to any, save my king.' "'Here there was another angry outburst of threats and expletives "'and much movement and confusion. "'So she had to stop and wait for the noise to subside. "'Then a waxen face flushed a little, "'and she straightened up and fixed her eyes on the judge.' and finished her sentence in a voice that had the old ring to it. And I will never reveal these things, though you cut my head off. Well, maybe you know what a deliberate body of Frenchmen is like. The judge and half the court were on their feet in a moment, and all shaking their fists at the prisoner, and all storming and vichperising at once, so that you could hardly hear yourself think. This kept up oh, several minutes, and because Joan sat untroubled and indifferent, they grew madder and noisier all the time. Once, she said, with a fleeting trace of the old-time mischief in her eye and manner, Prithee, speak one at a time, fair lords, but I will answer all of you. At the end of the three old hours of furious debating over the oath, the situation had not changed al- at all. The bishop was still requiring an unmodified oath. Joan was refusing for the twentieth time to take any except the one which she had herself proposed. There was a physical change apparent, but it was confined to the court and judge. They were hoarse, droopy, exhausted by their long frenzy and had a sort of haggard look in their faces, poor men, whereas Joan was still placid and reposeful and did not seem noticeably tired. The noise quieted down, There was a waiting pause of some moment's duration. Then the judge surrendered to the prisoner, and with bitterness in his voice told her to take the oath after her own fashion. Joan sunk at once to her knees, and as she had laid her hands upon the gospels, that big English soldier set free his mind. By God, if she were but English, she were not in this place another half a second. It was the soldier in him responding to the soldier in her. But what a stinging rebuke it was. What arraignment of French character and French royalty. What, would that he could have uttered just that one phrase in the hearing of Orleans? I know, that grateful city, that adoring city, would have risen to the last man and last woman, and marched upon ruin. some speechless speeches, that shame a man, and humble him burn themselves into the memory, and remain there. That one is burned into mine. After Joan had made oath, Cushon asked her name, where she was born, and some questions about her family, also what her age was. She answered these, then he asked her how much education she had had. I've learned from my mother and Pater, and Pater the Ave Maria, and the belief. All that I know was taught to me by my mother. Questions of the unessential sort dribbled on for a considerable time. Everybody was tired, out by now except Joan. The tribunal prepared to rise and at this point Cushen forbade Joan to try to escape from prison upon pain of being held guilty of the crime of heresy. Singular logic. She answers simply, I am not bound by this proposition. If I could escape, I would not reproach myself, for I have given no promise and I shall not. Then, She complained of the burden of her chains, and asked that they might be removed, for she was strongly guarded in that dungeon, and there was no need of them, but the bishop refused, and reminded her that she had broken out of prison twice before. Joan of Arc was too proud to insist. She only said, as she rose, to go with the guard, "'It is true. I have wanted to escape, and I do want to escape,' then she added, "'in a way that would touch the pity of anybody. "'I think,' It is the right of every prisoner. And so she went from the place in the midst of an impressive stillness, which made the sharper and more distressful to me the clank of those pathetic chains. What presence of mind she had. One could never surprise her out of it. She saw no one me there when she first took her seat on the bench and we flushed the forehead with excitement and emotion, but her face showed nothing. Betrayed. Nothing. Her eyes sought us fifty times that day, but they passed on, and there was never any ray of recognition in them. Another would have started upon seeing us, and then why? Then there could have been trouble for us, of course. We walked slowly home together, each busy with his own grief, not saying a single word. And that is the next chapter of our dear John of Arc. You know, please understand that she's only 19. The chains that she is in were designed for strong men. I, um, my heart, my heart breaks for her to think what she was going through. And you know, she did it all for God. Everything she did was for God and for her people. That's something that should always be admired. Many blessings.